Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, we'll chat with women's leadership development pioneer, Suzanne Anderson. And the two of the ladies will be discussing her latest book, The Way of the Mysterial Woman, which is a blend of cutting-edge transformational psychology, ancient mystery school secrets, and visionary evolutionary thinking to help women unlock their greatest potential. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, attorney turned life coach, Sunny Joy McMillan. And we are here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk 1150 AM KKNW, bringing you amazing coaches, teachers, authors, and healers who are on a mission to encourage you, inspire you, and give you tools to live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, always access those show archives at 1150kknw.com. You can find out more about me and connect with me for coaching through my website, which is goldenoversoul.com. And let's see, we still have available for you at unhitchedbook.com a free copy of my book. Um, So the book is called Unhitched. Unlock Your Courage and Clarity to Unstick Your Bad Marriage. It will be in bookstores January 22nd, which is coming up here so soon. Um, But in the meantime, um, I'm still offering uh, the book for free, electronic copy that you can grab at unhitchedbook.com. And it's really for anyone who is struggling in their marriage, answering those tough questions of what to do, whether to stay or go. Um, and it'll guide you all the way through a graceful divorce if that is what ends up being in the highest and best interest of everyone involved. And it isn't always. Um, there are a lot of things that are in the book that you can do to improve the relationship. Um, and sometimes those things work for the long term, and sometimes it helps you figure out that that's not where you're supposed to be. So wherever you are, the book will meet you there, and I encourage you to grab a copy of that. Um, and then one other housekeeping matter Um, I've got Sacred Supper Club, our quarterly dinner event. Um, Of course, we took 2018 off, but um, we are back up and running for 2019, and it's going to be in Austin, January 26th. I know that's coming up here pretty quickly, but we have a really nice group coming from Seattle. In fact, I think more than half of the people that are going to be at this event um, are coming from other cities or states. So um, everyone is welcome. Um, my best friend in the world is hosting it at her home, um, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. So if you like a good dinner party, but you don't like superficial small talk, and you want to come talk about the universe and get shamelessly spiritual with us, this is the event to do that. So it's January 26th, which is a Saturday in Austin. You can find out more, register um, by going to my website, That's goldenoversoul.com. And under the events page, you will find Sacred Supper Club. So I encourage you to join us if you are able. And finally, but definitely not least importantly, it is Benny Mather's birthday today. What? Yes? (laughs) You had that ready. I did not. No, I didn't. Maybe I did. Yes, it is. Woo! Yay, Benny. (laughs) <laughs> and you're not allowed to say how old you are because we're yeah, the same age. <laughs> oh, so to protect no, you. No, I don't mind. I don't That's mind. Okay. We'll just play this again. <laughs> so happy birthday, Benny. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So actually, we could just do this. I want to tell everyone to go out and get your book for a birthday present oh, from them goodness. to me. That's what they need to do. <laughs> 
Okay, that's what they need to do. Well, I appreciate that, Benny, okay. but um, yeah, they're. Well, if we're saying sharing the same age. Yes. We can, <laughs> so we can share my yeah. my unhitched yeah, book. Yeah, why not? Oh, okay. Well, Benny, do you have any exciting plans? Uh, not as as of yet. We know the Hawks have a pretty serious playoff game yes. tomorrow, so I'm sure I'll be watching that somewhere, and will I will too. have a. Uh, a friend taking me around. Let's just say I should have a driver because <laughs> yes. I'm going to be playing it safe. Oh, very good. That's the way to do yeah. it on your birthday. Yeah. Uh, so and all days. Actually. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Tonight, probably just kind of. I usually just chill, anyways. I'm, I'm not a big on my birthday day day. I kind of like, you know, plan something a little bit different. Okay, so my uh, son's mother is okay. on the same day as well. Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. It was so that. we're six years apart, but it's the same day. So there's a lot of management around that. Yeah. It's so funny. Chase and I are six years apart. The same. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's we'll okay. Anyway. Okay. And so that's something we have to kind of manage with the boys and their birthdays next week. Oh, so, it is. Yeah. So it's like rapid fire, but even after time. Christmas. I know, right? Birthday time. So they'll be eight. Yeah. That seems. The, the ocho. I, Really, I, I know everybody says this, and it sounds so cliche, but it, it really feels like yesterday when they were four years old. Right. They were tiny. Like, their mm-hmm. little heads didn't even hit the countertop barely, right here. Barely. Yes. Eight. Mm-hmm. Benny, that's not possible. I miss carrying them in their little, uh, you know, their little carriers and stuff like that, because yeah. I had nice shoulders then, too, at the time. <laughs> They've gotten a little weaker since. But uh, everyone's like, how do you do it? I'm like, well, you just have to carry them. Because you know how it's, okay. Not being a singleton parent, that's usually when you have the one. It's always a, a challenge on carrying one. Yeah. Never had that problem. I always had You're two. Always balanced. Yeah. Oh, one on each hip. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> so I understand it completely. Yeah. But well, yeah, we're well, getting big. Congratulations. Thank you. On all of the birthdays. Yep, right? And the eight. Oh, goodness. Okay. Because? Go shorty. It's your birthday. We're going to party. Okay, no 50. <laughs> okay. Well, as much as I hate to leave the subject of your birthday, we're going to bring That's on totally fine. our amazing guest for today, who happens to be some of our local Seattle talent, and she will be at East West Bookshop this evening and tomorrow for events. Um, her name is Suzanne Anderson. You may already know her. She is a change agent for women change makers. As a psychologist, author, executive coach, speaker, and transformational facilitator, she has dedicated the past 15 years of her career in leadership development to decoding an embodied, integral, and accelerated pathway to awaken consciousness and leadership capacity in women. In her global online programs, workshops, and retreats, she guides women to do the deep work of upgrading their inner operating systems and becoming a match for these complex times by accessing all of their feminine and masculine capacities. She is the co-author of the triple award-winning book, which we'll be discussing here today, called The Way of the Mysterial Woman, Upgrading How You Live, Love, and Lead. And the website to find out more is MysterialWoman.com. And that's M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A-L. That's MysterialWoman.com. Suzanne Anderson, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sunny. Great to be here. Yes. Well, so... I, in reading your book, um, and it really, uh, there are so many topics here to explore, but I want to start more at the very beginning. And I know that you had, uh, you were doing some pretty high level consulting work before you came to the work that you're now doing. And it, um, from what I understand, it factored into um, actually what became this uh, mysterious woman process. Can you share a little bit about what you were doing before and how that brought you to the work that you now do? Yes, I can. And I also just wanted to start by saying um, I enjoyed 
listening to you and Benny <laughs> start the show off, and it just felt I was just sitting here smiling at the um, clear. Are you going to uh, raise a birthday cake for me at this West? Because, I mean, I'm that'd be really to. great. I mean, <laughs> it's like, wow, I love this. You just the walk just... in with it. What's that for? Who's that for? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, like the authenticity of it all and uh, the friendship you both obviously have. And so definitely happy birthday. Appreciate Benny. that. I always... High five there, Sonny. <laughs> I always think the day of a birthday is, you know, we, we kind of work it in a strange way in culture, but I actually feel... There, there's there is a particular energy on the day when you chose to come into this life, let's say. Yeah. And um, and it's and it's to to um, some of us grow up feeling like oh we can't you know it's selfish to really make that our day but um, I love to really honor people on that day so just really. I feel quite honored that I get to be speaking on this show when all this good good energy is running right now with Benny's birthday. Thank you so much for those kind words, Suzanne. I mean, I really do appreciate that. It's been four years now, and um, Benny and I, um, Benny is one of the reasons that I um, am on this station in the time slot that I'm in. And and this is the first time we've actually had your birthday on the day of the show. So, special day. Seriously? Yeah. Because you know, oh. it only go every, every you know every seven years it'll repeat, and I've only been doing the show oh, look four at you, years. So mathematician, there. well, you know, so. <laughs> that's why she's the interviewer. Right. Anyway, well, thank you. Thank you, Suzanne, for yeah, saying that. Okay. That. <laughs> yeah. Well, it makes it easier for a guest, in this case myself, to feel comfortable and and um, speak into this. And then the second thing I just want to say is. Congratulations on finishing your book, because I I know what it is. I'm actually working on my second book now, and um, but I know what it was to get this first book out, and you know all of the first of all the lived experience you had to have clearly in the topic you're um, writing about um, that obviously wasn't all easy, and then the job of articulating and writing it, and then the job of publishing it. And, you know, yeah. so it's it's about to be born, and I'm sure you can feel that, like this pending, um, impending birth. It's very yes. exciting. Well, thank you, thank you again. I'm so <clears throat> nice to have a guest come on and start things with so many, um, so many kind words. <laughs> well, I wanted to just start there before I launched in because that's what I was feeling um, just listening to you both. So, but in now I'll go back to your question, which was uh, how did this all? <clears throat> I think you're asking really how did how did I get the work gets started. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and then you referenced the, what it came out of, which was, and, and I think because of the audience, I think you have on this show, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the two stories that kind of came together at the same time. This isn't, I don't always represent this, um, depending on the, the audience, but the first is I was a leadership management consultant for, for many years, about 15 years. And, in those days, that was, you know, my the peak of my consulting time was in the 90s, and um, there weren't that many women at the senior levels I was working at. Um, it was a very exciting, dynamic time. I was in really working with the sh- beginning shift of the big multinationals that were having to learn to be more nimble and um, less command and control styles of, of leadership. And, and actually, it was when Microsoft was kind of coming into play. I lived at that time. I'm Canadian. It was based in Toronto and then, and then ultimately based in Europe. But 
over here in Seattle, where I was yet to be living, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> this, these little tech companies were coming up and they were very nimble and they were little niche players that could could move so much faster and respond so much quicker to um, movement in the market and client interest and demand and so on. So the big companies were, were realizing they were going to have to shift. So that was what I was doing. And it meant that I was working a lot of with the executive teams of big multinationals. And most of those, those people were men. Um, and I actually enjoyed initially the kind of, because there weren't many women who did what I did. And it was often, I felt like I used to like be like a um, bullfighter, you know, I'd mm. go into the, into the room and, and everybody, all these, these, um, especially when I was based in Paris, because a lot of, um, European men and some from the Latin cultures where it was a little different for a woman to be at the front of the room. Mm -hmm. And I would feel like, okay, I, I got, it. I got this. I mean, you know, I would sort of spend an hour or two, um, convincing them that I was worth listening to and, <laughs> and worth having, you know, that I was going to be with them for three days and they didn't really have any choice in that. <laughs> so they, that's what I was doing and that it was going to be okay. They were going to be okay with me as a woman doing what I do. Um, and, and at the same time, uh, it took a lot to do that. Yeah. It took a lot to be, um, to kind of face that. I would now call it more of the, the patriarchal mindset or the very hyper-masculine mindset and, and bring what I was there to bring, which was really a whole other view from the one they had. So that was going on at one side. I was kind of coming to, that it was exciting for a lot of years. And the very few women that were coming into those sessions were the most resistant to what I had to bring. That was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. That was what that was, I was actually I, wanting to ask about. Um, was specifically like what what was it that they were so resistant to, or I, that really yeah. fascinated me. Yeah, I think the and it, it surprised me. I was naive at the time to think probably anything else, but um, they had worked so hard to be at that level. Mm -hmm. They had basically embodied these very masculine ways of leading at a cost, and. And I was there to basically say, okay, now we got to try something new. You know, we have to empower people further into down the line. You have to, you know, have care and connection with your people. Emotional intelligence was just starting to be something that was needing to be considered. It was like all of a sudden the tables were being changed on them, you know. Yeah. Like you told me I had to dress like this and operate like this and speak like this and sit at this table. And now you're saying i got to do something different. Are you kidding me? <laughs> And, and at one level, that was what was very, like, literally hardwired, you know, the whole saying of what's, what fires together, wires together. Yeah. So that was really hardwired. But then in the evenings, you know, we meet in the bar and uh, at these uh, retreats, and they would tell me what was really going on and speak more of their actual experience, how difficult it was, and also speak about things they saw and experienced in these executive teams that were really important actually for the job I was doing because it was information that wasn't on the table yet. And uh, I'd say, you know, you've got to bring this into the room. We have to have this voice. And oh yes, I, I will, I will. And then the, the session would come and they would be mute. Mm. And it was fascinating to me because I couldn't 
understand they were they were suffering so much and yet they couldn't make the shift even when the ceo of the company is saying you have to learn to change like i mean this isn't an option your right. leadership is going to have to change so they were getting pressure from every direction and and they still couldn't shift out of these old hypermasculine ways of being for the most part so you know that that was the first thing that said to me there is a problem here and um doesn't seem like anyone's addressing it mm-hmm. and then to get a bit more esoteric because i think that's an audience you have an this is an alternative radio oh yes we love this stuff <laughs> and so i think i can go go there um at the same time i was in my sister lived in indonesia and uh and i was in bali and after a week we were on a cleanse and a fast and we were and i had a, had a very long-term spiritual practice at that point but it was much more inside of a would say a more um masculine model of of religion and a more girocentric model. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really have a lot of experience with the feminine necessarily in my spiritual practice. But anyway, I was meditating and um, and was, well, I, I will now say it like a kind of this something opened in my being. And I... I really came out of my personality or ego self and was in what ended up being about two days of this um, stream of divine feminine energy mm-hmm. and uh, in a state of bliss, really, of union, which even doesn't, those words don't really even describe <laughs> describe it because yeah. um, later I tried to give words to this, but... Um, it was really just the experience of uh, enormous heart love opening and, and love and union with with everything. Um, and and somewhere in the midst of that time, uh, there was a, I would say, an inquiry that came in, which was something like this, like, will you help to midwife the divine feminine on earth? Mm. And, um, you know, you think of the principle of free will. I mean, that question, in a sense, is correct that it was asked. Later, I came to to connect this energy with a presence of Kuan Yin. Mm. Um, But at the time, I I didn't even know that uh, construct. Um, But this question kind of came in. And there was no yes or no, really. It was, of course, it was like <laughs> in that state that was everything was was yes. It, really, in a sense, bowing down to the to the inquiry, to the to the um, invitation, I would say. And a couple of days later, when I came out of this state, um, really, literally, like, what is my name and <laughs> I, I, I thought I should change my name. I should leave. I mean, I didn't even really, it took, and others who have had similar experiences have shared the same. Like it, it takes a while for the identity to reconstruct itself yeah. and uh, to remember, you know, here's my name. Here's what, where I live. Here's what I'm doing. What am I doing? I'm, wow, I'm a consultant in Paris and I'm working with all these men. And um, I just said, yes, I'm going to midwife the divine. <laughs> And what does that mean? And so um, that is 
those two kind of came, these, these things came together, this sense of seeing women in this, between a rock and a hard place. And, and then seemed like nobody was tending that, like where were, where were women getting help to, to make this shift that was beginning to be obviously, I didn't understand everything I understand today about it, but clearly something needed to shift. They were suffering and they weren't bringing their gifts into the into leadership, and then this invitation that I'd said yes to. And so within um, a few months of getting back to, to Paris, I left the firm. And uh, yeah, and that I've been living into that. I've been living into that yes ever since. Oh, yeah. And, and so when, when you decided to answer that call um, in about the year 2000, um, you and a partner launched uh, the Women's Integral Leadership Circle, and it became a university certificate program. And it, it was it through that that you really started to see some of the, to come, uh, the Mysterial Woman was born, the, the process that, that right. you now use? Yeah, well, what became clear very early when I was, I actually opened a private practice in Paris for a year, and uh, and it was full in like a nanosecond because there was such, there were so many women up against it, you know, you mm-hmm. could set this edge. But I, I started to see that I was like a nanosecond ahead of my clients, and, you know, I I was figuring this out almost as fast as I was working with them. And I realized uh, I better go back to graduate school and understand a bit more about this territory. Mm -hmm. Um, And surely others have been, there must already be books written about women in development because um, how women develop and become, move to the next level of their capacity must already been figured out. So I did go back to graduate school and with this focus in, in uh, women in development in clinical psychology and what I discovered was, no, actually, there hadn't been a lot of studies done. Um, Carol Gilligan was one of the few at Harvard who had written, who wrote, you may know her, her one of her books, uh, In a Different Voice, where she was really challenging the idea that women's development, women, development was the same for women as for men. All the studies in human development had been done using men. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was actually raising the question that well, we may we may actually develop in a different way, and so once that I realized this this work was still needing, um, it hadn't all been done, and certainly it hadn't been done from the perspective of looking at where we are in in our in this time in this moment in evolution, as a as a move forward. In other words, it's not just about adult development. I began to see it was about women making a move that had never been made before. Um, so I knew from the beginning I wanted the programs to be embedded in or affiliated with universities so that it wouldn't be like women's leadership or the goddess ghetto, mm-hmm. you know, that <laughs> this really had to had to come into the mainstream because um, my sense was, and this has proven to be true, from now 10 years of research, 15 years of research after writing the book, uh, that uh, we are at a new developmental um, threshold. And an evolution, you could say, or the, the, the complexities of these times are requiring us to develop a consciousness that can actually meet these complexities, which means we are being asked by 
life itself, you could say, to evolve, not just grow new capacities or a few new skills here or there, but literally become uh, something we, you know, I could say almost like a new species of woman. And that's, by the way, where the word mysterial came from. Um, it was that there was not a word to describe what I was starting to see awaken in women. Uh, we used to say it was an integral woman, was an integral leader, was a full presence leader, but none of those kind of captured the, the essence of it. I like that Benny said it was the mystical woman <laughs> because, <laughs> because there is something and that's, a, that's, there is, it is absolutely the, the word mysterial actually is a kind of hybrid of the words mystery and medial. Um, and there's something about this element of that I began to see in women where we can um, be with the mystery in a way that we never have been before, be able to be with the uncertainty, the ambiguity of these times. And a kind of mystical, as he was suggesting, uh, you know, way of being. Yes. And, and also, I had never heard the term when you said it's a combination of the term mis, uh, mystery and medial. Um, and I was not familiar with medial. And I, I think I read in the book that that came from Tony Wolf, who was... Right partners uh, with or was a muse and partner to uh, Carl Jung. That's right. Yeah. yeah. She had d defined the four aspects of the psyche and one of them for the feminine. And one was this medial capacity, which uh, is basically this aspect in a woman that can bridge between the conscious and the unconscious, between the dark and the light, between self and other, um, you know, and I also like the word medial because it also has the meaning of being able to hold a middle uh, path, yeah. sort of being grounded. And, and I think this is key right now, that we are able to be grounded and centered and present in the midst of a very, very dynamically changing world right now. Yes, yeah. And we are just about at the time for our break. But I did want to ask you, you know, as we've just introduced the term mysterial um, and how that originated, what are some of these characteristics um, of this new species of woman or the, the threads that you see within her? Yeah, well, I would say she, uh, how much time do I have before we take a oh, break? Whenever, no, a couple, whatever, <laughs> however long you go is fine, and we'll take the break after that. So you just, <laughs> however long you want to go. Okay, well, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that um, I would say I will... And after the the break, I can talk about the uh, the mysterial sequence, which is the developmental pathway for women. But um, I would say, I will just ping through the the ways of being that are connected to these um, feminine and masculine gates that I can speak more about. And it has to do with this deep sense of um, being landed on the ground of our own sufficiency to start with. So really deeply connected to I am enough just as I am, and uh, moving in the world from that deep vessel inside oneself. So that from there, I am. it's easy for me to be, or easier for me to be compassionate with myself, loving myself in my body, with my emotions. I come into the body. So a mysterious woman is absolutely embodied. This is the essential uh, beginning gateway, actually, is the return out of the very well-developed mind and into the intelligence centers in the body. And then there's also the capacity to 
know what is yours to do. And that isn't everything. So not as opposed to I have to do to be of value, which means I'm going to be just doing, doing, doing everything all the time for others. Um, many cases, uh, workaholism and giveism and, you know, overextendism for sure, mm-hmm. um, to a sense of I am empowered to do what is mine to do. So really I can now be very precise in what it is I do and how I do it. And there's a way in which that um, allows for clear boundary setting, probably some of the things that you talk about in your book around how to be in relationship that requires differentiation, Mm -hmm. where I can have myself fully and let you have yourself. Now, this is really key. You can allow for the difference to be... uh, to be able to hold, this is the medial capacity of being able to bridge. And then I, you also, for a, a mysterious woman, she is landed in her own true authority. So knows her belonging in a great pattern of a friendly universe, as opposed to trying to fit in and mostly never fitting into the old patriarchal pattern. Um, and then a mysterious woman has this beautiful capacity to speak uh, freely her own um, creative voice uh, comes out and to be able to shake up some of the old structures and be catalytic and be a uh, creative um, dynamic force in these times of change and then I'm now at the fifth gate here so I'm kind of walking through this mm-hmm. uh, and then a mysterious woman is a shapeshifter. So it really is this ability to be a bridge person in culture, making a contribution and making a difference right now, and bringing these new ways of being, so I've described almost like a new species of woman, into manifestation, You know, putting on the clothing that's required uh, without changing your own core sense of self. So you can really, um, we can really be the change we want to see in the culture right now. Beautiful. Um, So on that note, we're going to take our break. Um, I am joined today by Suzanne Anderson. We're discussing her book, A Way of the Mysterial Woman, Upgrading How You Live, Love, and Lead. Um, She will be at East West Bookshop this evening, January 4th, and tomorrow, January 5th. Um, There will be a talk tonight. There will be a workshop tomorrow. Find out more at eastwestbookshop.com, and we'll give some more details on that in the second half of the show. Um, And we will take our break and be back in just a few. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Are you ready to get unstuck from a bad marriage and embrace your best life? If you're anything like me, you may have spent years creating a life that looks pretty good on paper. There's just one problem. Your marriage is unhappy and unfulfilling, but you're too scared to trade your comfortable life for a future full of unknowns. In my new book, Unhitched, I will give you the tools you need to make the right decisions about your marriage, as well as the confidence that your future can be better and brighter than you can even imagine. I share my own very personal story, and I will guide you through a clear process that will enable you to answer the question, should I stay or should I go? It's a process that will help you tune out fears and unwanted advice, and instead, tune into your own intuition and inner wisdom, as well as exit a marriage gracefully and feel secure about your future. Get ready to trade confusion and stagnation for your best life. Unhitched, unlock your courage and clarity and unstick your bad marriage. Available for pre-order today on Amazon.com. 
Through the generous support of individuals like you, Trees for the Future has planted over 155 million trees and changed thousands of lives in the last 29 years. With your help, Trees for the Future continues to train thousands of impoverished farming families across Africa to plant their way out of poverty using an agroforestry method called the forest garden. Forest gardens consist of nearly 4,000 fast-growing fruit, nut, and timber trees that thrive alongside climate-appropriate crops surrounded by a living green fence. These forest gardens eliminate hunger in two years, increase household income over 400% in four years, and have changed landscapes from dry lands for monocropping to rich soils supporting over 20 varieties of crops and marketable products. Learn more about how you can be part of these efforts by visiting trees.org radio. That's trees.org radio. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. It's time that you are heard, and I don't mean in just a conversation. I mean really heard. Imagine hosting your very own radio program on Alternative Talk 1150. Talk about being heard. Call 425-653-1150 right now to learn how affordable it can be to host your own radio show. Time slots are going fast, so take hold of this chance by dialing 425-653-1150. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. There's a reason they invented the internet. It's called 1150kknw.com. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. I am joined today by Suzanne Anderson, author of, co-author of the book, The Way of the Mysterial Woman, Upgrading How You Live, Love, and Lead. Um, and so we were talking a little bit before the break about what, uh, where the word mysterial came from, what a mysterial woman is. Um, And I was telling Suzanne, you know, one of the things that kept coming up for me as I was reading this book, um, it's a quote from John Stuart Mill about the nature of woman. And it's it basically he said that it's a subject on which nothing final can be known um, because of, of, you know, millennia at this point of um, of a time where women have been um, pigeonholed and pushed into certain roles um, some of which may not be our true, true nature. I mean, do we really even know what that is, given how long we have been in more of a patriarchal or masculine um, era? And so I, I loved, Suzanne, that your book really, to me, opens a doorway or allows the true nature, maybe one that we have never even really known before, to come forth, and it's and as you you call it an activation, it, it feels like it's something that wants to happen. And so, I just maybe we could start yeah. there and then and then move on. Right. Well, that's that's thank you for that. That was great uh, framing. Um, I absolutely feel this is true. What you're saying that this this awakening of a new consciousness in woman wants to happen now, and <clears throat> one of the things we do in the book is lay out the the map basically since the beginning of um the human journey and in epics of big there was a big epic of about fifty thousand years that was more matriarchal or let's just say had some of the aspects to it that we would call the the uh, the great mother the clan the connection to the earth the the we are all one of and and uh through this earth-based practices. And then we have 5,000 years of 
the masculine waves of several waves that came in um, during that time of consciousness and culture. And one thing we know, as you know, any historians would would know and futurists that always these waves of consciousness and culture that are come in and shift shift because the culture, the consciousness itself, creates certain problems that 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 they can no longer solve with that consciousness, yes. right? This is the Einstein's yes. quote, you know, the, the famous quote, you can't solve the problems at the level of the consciousness that created them. That's what he's referring to. And so it's never that, you know, we want to evolve. You could say there is this, which you were just describing, this urge, um, this pulling to, through the life conditions themselves, to to grow and develop. And that's happens at every level. That happens at, in the our um, physiology and the brain. You know, we could track this, uh, the, the movement through um, all levels. And the way we view it, the after this 5,000 years, in about the 60s, the second feminine wave came in. We call that a, a more dynamic feminine wave and a more of a maiden energy. That was the, the sexual revolution, the drugs and, you know, exploration of consciousness through um, alternative substances, mm-hmm. um, the, the uh, you know, back to the earth, the hippie movement, the, um, the equal rights movement. I mean, a lot of stuff kind of came pushing against that 5,000 years of a more hyper-masculine model of wholeness. Mm-hmm. And where we are now, <clears throat> this, by the way, is not to say that any of that was wrong. This is how evolution moves. And I think that's really, it's not about going back to some, um, you know, uh, old model of the feminine either. It, that we really are in new territory here because each one of these moves has moved us forward. And in this case, this next move of the feminine essences in men and in women uh, coming back in again is simply required. You know, this is just, it's just necessary. But it's pushing against the old um, systems that have been in place for 5,000 years and since recorded, since, you know, written history. So it seems like that's the whole history. Right. Certainly. <laughs> but, but it also means that that's a long time. This is deeply encoded epigenetically, you could say. It's right in the, in, down in the cells yeah. here, these um, hyper-masculine ways of being. And so you cannot, where, where we are right now, I believe, for women it is this kind of profound rite of passage. It's, and I'm saying this for women, not because this isn't also true for men. It's just, and, and you know, part of my decision to work with women right now was just that if women don't get this, I think we're really in trouble. Um, I think this is a moment of a, a big potential transformational moment in culture and the awakening of the feminine and the healthy masculine coming together inside men and women is critical right now. But if women don't get this, then we're, we're, in, we're going to be in big trouble. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I have to ask, I don't want to take us on too much of a tangent because I want to make sure that we talk a bit more about, you know, what are some things that women can do now and what is what does your process, the sequence really look like? But I just I saw in my email this morning that New York, um, I, I think I believe California, Washington and Oregon already have this as uh, laws on the books, but that that they are New York and uh, is now allowing um, folks to choose on the birth certificate you know, yeah. the non-binary X as opposed to just the, right. the M or the F. 
And I think, you know, where does that fit into the work that you're doing, this fact that we really are bridging the two energies, the two genders, really? Right. Well, I think we have to distinguish. I think, first of all, this, the work we've done so far will probably be mm, less relevant in 10 years mm. <laughs> because I think the the gender the, this gender identity is very fluid and it's mm. going to move and it's going to keep moving and um, but what we're looking at are these the feminine and masculine forces which are not gender mm-hmm. inside men and women and so um, while the research we did was with women who identified with the gender with feminine gender uh, there are a lot of men that have read the book and also really identify with these same distinctions mm-hmm. of the feminine and the masculine. Um, so I think that's going to be what will end up. I think that we need to have a healthy expression of these two primary impulses that are like at the very root of creation is true. Yeah. Uh, but how those manifest in terms of gender identity is a different thing. Yes. To me. And I'm very interested in watching. I mean, I'm I'm not keeping my own. I'm 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 watching and tracking and and um, uh, curious to see what that will be, you know, as we move forward. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, let's talk a little bit now about some things that that women can do because this this as you put it, this is this is really it's a new operating <clears throat> system. It is a source code. It goes to the very foundational components of the being. So what what can some women what can women do? What are some things they can do now to really embrace this? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think often women find even just reading the book or hearing me talk about this can be a real relief because a lot of women I think what many women are experiencing right now is this press. Basically, we are in the process of giving birth to ourselves to this next level of ourselves, like the new species, as I've suggested. And there is suffering involved in that, and anyone who's given birth knows that's never terribly comfortable mm-hmm. process. So um, we have the highest level ever of antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds in um, the Western world right now. I mean, women are trying to to dull this incredible sense of, you know, what's happened? I thought I was here and, and I thought that, you know, I was going to be happy when I would do all these things and have this life this way and I'm not and I'm, my this world, this part of my relationship is falling apart and this, uh, my, my, the career that I thought I would have forever, it doesn't satisfy me anymore. I mean, what's really happening? The sense of failure, like I must have failed then. And I think when women, first of all, can hear that these are some, you know, that the suffering, in a sense, is the indication, uh, very often, of this mysterious force basically ripening within. We could say, we could say this, um, this potentiality, this innate potentiality, like the acorn that houses the oak tree inside it, you know, and the oak tree, the essence of the potential of the oak tree is pushing against the um, the, the, the vessel itself of the acorn to break free. That's where we are right now. So I think, first of all, that can be very helpful, that you can know you are not alone yeah. if you are experiencing the breaking down right now of the world the way you've known it. And, of course, you've just written a book about this in the relational mm-hmm. domain. 
I see this a lot with women who come into programs, some of who are whom are sure that the problem is the partner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or the company, you know, or the house I live in, or that I, I just need to lose more weight, or um, I just need to, you know, get a facelift, or I just need to do, you know, it's at some level, that's the problem. And if I can fix those things, I'll feel better. And discover, actually, that, that, that this is a deeper... This is why I call this the upgrading of an inner operating system, that actually what's going on inside is something very different. And when you start to do the work in yourself that awakens um, and connects with this potentiality, very often it, it isn't the outer structure. Or if it is the outer structure, then, for example, the relationship is no longer correct. There's a way to do that unhitching, as you call it, in a in a more conscious way than just throwing it away, you know, just burning the bridges, right? Right. So so this takes me to the thing, then one of the places for for everyone to start, which is with um, desire, with giving yourself the permission and and the time to connect with your deepest desire so one of the things that goes to sleep in women, and I see this at the you know, women that come into my work, this is the first thing we're doing, is really waking this up. Because if you are suffering in the ways I've described and you're, you feel sort of between a rock and a hard place, then you don't want to fuel your desire because you do not know how you would ever get there. Mm. You know, You don't know how you would ever be able to reach that something and so you just stop imagining you stop um carrying the seed of that and the thing that we know and i write about this in the book it was a really good research done by a social scientist um after the second world war fred pollack is that he was looking at what happened after the war what were the what were the factors that let some of the countries and cultures actually reorganize in a more positive way um as opposed to kind of a more of a collapse and the one the only factor he could find in common across the cultures was that the the the, there was a significant um and yet uh small uh group of people in that culture who held an image of a positive future Mm. even when they everything around them was falling apart, including their own lives. So it wasn't just like the wealthy elite could hold this image of a positive future. It was that um, in the midst of things falling apart, they could hold the image of what was potential. Wow. And that's profound. And so we, and there's, there's other research today, you know, that's built on that in terms of what, you know, Lynn McTaggart's done this wonderful work around uh, the power of intention um, and we work a lot with that in our in our programs. How to really harness this um, innate imaginal potential? So Gene Houston says we have the um, we all have the extraordinary encoded within us, mm. um, and the extraordinary is really I think our own innate genius. But we don't make contact with that without um, connecting to our own desire. So I would say. So if, first of all, you know that some of the discomfort you may be feeling in your life right now is, is a part of the, this awakening time, like 
like you're giving birth. You know, it's like a woman giving birth. You know this is there's the contractions, but you know you're going to get something with that, right? right. A baby. <laughs> and that's what I want to say to women in culture. We are there right now. We are at the time where we're not we're going to see a lot more breaking down in culture. And at the same time, um, because that's just simply going to be required. That is both the closer in structures probably in our own lives. That is certainly the systems that are in place. Um, and uh, we are going to need to have a connection to this, to a deeper, our own deeper blueprint, I could say like that. Yes. So that's one place to start. Yes. And I want to make sure, as we're getting close to the end of the hour, that people know um, what they can expect if they'd like to come out and see you in person. Since we are in Seattle, you are in Seattle, you'll be at East West Bookshop this evening. This is January 4th. And tomorrow, uh, Saturday, January 5th, for a workshop. Um, what will you be doing there? Well, thank you. Yeah, it's actually not that common. I do uh, things locally in Seattle, so this is really fun. Um <clears throat> for me to hopefully hear some of you listening will will want to come and join me. Um, tonight I'm going to go into, I'm going to do a talk for about an hour and a half, and I'm going to go into uh, a little deeper the underpinnings of the, the what it means for women to develop right now and uh, what that system is and how in my own life I've really come to live this and experience this. Uh, and I think it'll be a juicy evening together. Um, and then you can also get my book, which is a good place to start with this. The, 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 the first few chapters of the book are laying out a lot of our the research um, and why women, why now, basically. And then the second part is going through this developmental pathway with practices you can use and ways that you can actually start to awaken this potential in yourself. Um, and then on Saturday, I'm going to, in the three-hour workshop, do... It's a really fun process. It's a little mini awakening. Hmm. So <laughs> there are, you know, in this developmental um, uh, map, basically, you know, let me back up a moment and just say that in genetics, and I, I think we are working at the level of the, 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 the codes that we're in the process of shifting and changing um, are down at that level. And, but in genetics, everything's laid down in, in a sequence, um, as you know, and, and it's un, also unlocked in a sequence. And all physical changes come because somewhere inside us a sequence gets activated. That's why I use this term activation. So for cellular change to take place, for example, the RNA unzips the DNA, this is an elegant process, by running down this string of nucleotides in this very sequential order. So in essence, we could say evolution is like this process that just spontaneously unlocks itself in sequences. And what our research has, has led us to is the discovery of this developmental sequence for women, literally the unlocking of this potentiality through the, the, the feminine and masculine uh, archetypes, five very specific feminine and masculine archetypes. So on Saturday, I'm going to take you through a little experience using movement and music and reflection and journaling um, of each of these five uh, archetypal gateways so that they we literally kind of nudge the, the code inside, um, turn it on, you could say. Oh, yeah. fun. Yes. Yeah. So that will be at East West Bookshop. To find out more, eastwestbookshop.com. 
um, and you can register there. Um, so we've got just about two minutes left, Suzanne. And one of the things that I wanted to touch on, if it's too big of a can of worms, just let me know and I'll go to a shorter question. But shadow work incorporate is incorporated into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it's a buzzword that I'm hearing a lot right now. And of course, this you wrote this several years ago. So you were right at the forefront there. How does shadow work come into this? Or what do we need to know about shadow? Yeah, it's essential, actually. It, it is basically, think of shadow as all of the parts of yourself that got put into the dark closet when you were growing up because they were not okay in some way. So they're basically, we think of shadow as anything that the conscious mind does not want a relationship with. So that's both your dark shadows, some of those things that get you in trouble a lot of the times and have you recreating the same situations again and again, and also your gold uh, in shadows. So. And the work that that I do and that this program, the work that, that I'm committed to, is actually turning us in a very um, well, you know, with the technologies that I've developed, um, structured way to approach these parts of the self that we need to remember, that we need to actually literally bring back into our wholeness. So we could think of it like uh, developmental trauma. It is, we, and this is true whether, I'm not talking necessarily about situational trauma, although a lot of women have trauma both at that level and developmentally. Um, Developmentally being inside of your family of origin, there was some way in which whatever it took for you to get love, safety, and belonging, there are parts of you that just had to disappear. We call that developmental trauma. How do we turn toward the those parts of the self and and now really be able to be present with the embodied emotions and the experience that we were not able to be with when we were younger Got it. Yeah. yeah and that by the way i'll just add one little thing which is to say that isn't just about your family of origin but we're actually also doing this there's an epigenetics to this that you bring down through your lineage uh <clears throat> patterns so you have the opportunity, I think, in doing this work right down literally in the DNA to be shifting things, um, not just for yourself, uh, but, but again, to be an agent of change, you're actually a change agent then in the whole system itself. Beautiful. Thank you for putting shadow work into two minutes, Suzanne. That was awesome. (laughs) So I've been joined today by Suzanne Anderson. She is the co-author of the book, The Way of the Mysterial Woman, Upgrading How You Live, Love, and Lead. Thank you, Suzanne, for being here. And I encourage you guys to join her at East West Bookshop uh, on Friday, January 4th and Saturday, January 5th. And the website to find out more is MysterialWoman.com. And that's M-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A-L. That's MysterialWoman.com. Um, I am your host, Sunny Joy. Thanks for listening to Sunny in Seattle. And I will see you next week. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.